3: And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. We've got a lot on the program today. Where did the religious nuttery come from? We'll get into that in just a moment. Also, what Republicans don't want women to remember. I just did a... uh, rather lengthy tweet about this you might find interesting and we'll be talking about that in just a moment Cassie Hutchinson by the way the a young woman who testified uh what was it last week the week before last 2 weeks ago yeah she has gone into hiding the trump humpers are you know looking to kill her i mean it's nuts and a fascinating story spencer schneider is a uh, high-end lawyer in new york city who spent 23 years in a high-end cult in New York City. And we're going to talk about this. How do you get into and out of a cult? Well, let's ask a former cultist. So a lot to talk about today. Where did the religious nuttery come from? Well, this is just an incredible story. I saw this on Twitter and then you know saw a piece that was published in the Minneapolis Star Tribune about it. In fact, I quote both of them in my op-ed over at HartmanReport.com that is titled, Where Did the Religious Nuttery Come From? Jess and John Pence, P-E-N-T-Z. You know, it's a married couple. They've been married 17 years. They were traveling from Minneapolis, where they lived, to uh, Wisconsin for the Fourth of July weekend. This was uh, July 3rd, and they pulled into the uh, Hayward, Wisconsin, Walgreens pharmacy because Jess had realized that she had forgotten to bring her birth control pills and they were gonna be gone for a little bit. So they, they pulled into the pharmacy and she went over to the shelf and picked up a box of condoms and took it to the counter and set it down and pulled out her credit card. And the clerk said, ain't gonna ring that up for you or words to that effect. In fact, the, uh, the quote from the, the piece in the Star Tribune is, we can sell that to you, but yeah, he said with a smirk, according to the guy standing in line behind Jess, who didn't know her, but you know talked to the reporter, we can sell that to you, but I won't because of my faith. Not going to sell you any condoms today. You know, there's no law in America against behaving like an ass. So, this Walgreens clerk was entirely within his rights to behave like one. But because of five Republicans on the U.S. Supreme Court, well, six now, it is now problematic and soon could be against the law nationwide if Clarence Thomas gets his way for Walgreens to fire this guy. John was his name, the clerk for exercising his faith when working in a a drugstore. Now, the vast majority of Americans don't share this opinion. (laughs) Jennifer Brooks wrote the piece for the Minneapolis Star Tribune, and she noted, quote, when the Pew Research Center surveyed American attitudes about birth control, just 4% viewed contraception as morally wrong. Condoms protect us from disease and prevent unwanted pregnancy. What's not to like? End quote. I would add, by the way, the history of condoms goes back literally thousands of years. They used to make them out of sheep intestines, uh, you know, like thousands of years ago. But what's so astonishing about this is that we have not reached this point in America, the overturning of Roe, the of women, as it were. We, we haven't reached this point in American religious nuttery because the religious right rose up and took over America. The religious right is still a, a, a fringe movement in america instead we have reached this point because a group of right-wing billionaires didn't want to pay their taxes they wanted their taxes cut they didn't want their refineries and other polluting businesses to be regulated because that was hurting their profits and they and they and they didn't want to have to employ unionized workforces so in 1971, when Lewis Powell laid out, you know, his doctrine of war against America, it was called the Powell Memo. It was, this was the year before Richard Nixon put him on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, the, you know, most Americans were just fine with how things were going, <laughs> I mean, generally speaking. The top tax rate was 74%. Uh, the top corporate tax rate was 50%. Uh, unions were, uh, over a third of us were unionized, Uh, guns manufacturers were regulated, as were refineries. So, these right-wing billionaires and their corporations and foundations came up with a very straightforward strategy. Number one, convince Americans that taxes are not what we always understood them to be, as uh, I believe it was Louis Brandeis who called them the cost of civil society, but instead that they were a burden, that working class Americans are unfairly bearing. And once those Republicans got elected on a tax cut platform, they would massively cut the taxes of the morbidly rich and throw a little bone to the average working guy. Oh yeah, you get 10 bucks. Number two, convince Americans that regulations that protect consumers and the environment are also burdens from an out of control nanny state. Even though such regulations actually save lives, and benefit Americans far more than they cost. And number three, convince Americans that unions aren't democracy in the workplace that protect workers' rights, but instead are some kind of elaborate scam to raid workers' paychecks to the benefit of corrupt union bosses. To pull all this off, they spent five decades and billions of dollars subsidizing think tanks and policy groups at both the state and federal level There's now an extensive network of them all across the country, ALEC and all these other things. But that still wasn't enough to get them the political power that they needed. It was hit and miss. Sometimes Republicans won the presidency, sometimes they lost, sometimes they held Congress, sometimes they didn't. They needed more. They sponsored right-wing talk radio to the tune of millions of dollars a year. Just Limbaugh and Hannity's shows alone got a million bucks a year each from the Heritage Foundation. And Australian billionaire Rupert Murdoch rolled out Fox News to complement the propaganda campaign. Later would come the social media, bots and trolls, along with thousands of new websites pretending to be local newspapers. And still that wasn't enough to get them the power they needed. They hooked up with the NRA, which helped sponsor the Reagan revolution, and was richly rewarded with a law that makes it illegal for the federal government to compile death statistics, from gun violence, and gave their industry uh, immunity from uh, prosecution for the damage that their products caused product liability prosecution. The only industry outside of nuclear power in America that has this immunity. And they finally got Americans to go along with the plan, but only when they added their own religious secret sauce. And that secret sauce was Jerry Falwell and his buddies. Jerry Falwell had jumped into the religious grift back in the 60s after the, or in the late, late 60s, I believe, it was after the Brown v. Board case, you know, with the basically all white uh, academies and things. And, I mean, there, it, not just him, there was a whole bunch of them. And he, he was an inveterate grifter. He was hustling Jesus. He built a multimillion-dollar empire, ignoring Jesus' teachings about humility and poverty and the need to care for others, and instead promoting this new muscular Jesus, a Jesus who endorsed assault weapons and private jets for preachers. And this Jesus wanted you to get rich. They called it the prosperity gospel. Riches, they said, are a sign of God's blessing. Yeah. And, you know, we, suddenly we had megachurches and, and TV pastors and Pat Robertson and Jim Baker and Tammy Faye and, and uh, the whole bunch of them. And they became not only multimillionaires, but they also def- openly defied IRS regulations and preached po- politics in the pulpit. And millions of mostly non-political churchgoers were suddenly not just evangelists for Jesus, but now evangelists for the Republican Party. And to keep the rubes coming, Republicans on the Supreme Court had to throw them the occasional bone, you know, saying that, oh yeah, cake bakers can refuse to do cakes for weddings for gay couples and things like that. Churches kept getting richer. Republicans kept getting elected. And now we're at the point where half the population is in their crosshairs. That would be the women of America. It's no longer just a matter of that $50 trillion transfer of wealth from middle America to the top 1% changes in the tax law, or a few hundred thousand children downstream of coal mines getting permanent neurological damage because Donald Trump's, his first major piece of legislation or his first policy uh, signature was was, uh, making it legal to dump more coal waste in rivers, or workers thinking that they'd get better wages and benefits if they had a union. No, Uh, literally none of those issues mass shootings, medical bankruptcy, student debt, homelessness. Louise and I were talking about this as we were driving around this weekend, you know, looking at the homeless camps and things. And Literally, before Reagan was elected president in 1980, literally you never saw homeless people in America. We can get into that another time, all the details of why, but basically Republican policies brought us homelessness. And now they're coming for your birth control. Will enough Americans finally wake up? to this 40-year grift to put an end to it and return our country to sanity? We'll find out this November. I gotta tell you about uh, what Republicans don't want women to remember. About what they did in 1972, 74, 78, 80, 2012, 94. We'll get to that in just a moment, stick around. It's really a, a pretty amazing story. You know, it's just an amazing story. When, when Reagan became president, in order to, uh, well, actually, in order to become president, Reagan, who had been, who had signed the, most liberal abortion law in America as the governor of California and his vice presidential candidate George Herbert Walker Bush whose wife was a major supporter of planned parenthood i've i've read in various places that she was on the board of one of the local planned parenthoods i've never seen that corroborated for sure but they both became anti abortion as a way of bringing the religious right in because they're you know they they hired George Herbert Walker Bush's drunk son George W Bush to to build an alliance between them and the religious right. It's amazing. Tyrone in Harlem, New York. Hey Tyrone, what's on your mind today?
1: How are you doing, so yeah. I was wondering because of um, they, they, I keep hearing they should codify they should have codified the the um, abortion situation. And I was wondering had it been codified, could they still just disregard it like they disregarded precedent and, and what have you with and was it settled law? Was it supposedly settled law? They disregarded that. Why couldn't they disregard codified law?
3: Well, it codify a fancy way of saying put yeah. into law, passed a law saying that women have a right to an abortion. Um, they, the Supreme Court, uh, you know, under the uh, 1803 uh, uh, Marbury case doctrine of judicial supremacy and judicial review, Arguably, could have, and I, you're absolutely right, Tyrone. Could have said, you know, that law that they passed back in 1974 after Roe v. Wade yes. that put that decision into law. That law was unconstitutional. And we're going to overturn it. They could do that. Yes. It would just be a lot harder. And and here's 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 why. In seven, and in fact, there's a chapter about this in my book on the Supreme Court, uh, and you know, which is kind of controversial because what I was saying when I wrote this book a couple of years ago was that if the Supreme Court had not done Roe v. Wade in '73. That probably by '75 or '76, at least half the states and probably three quarters of the states would have legalized abortion, because the country was on a roll at that point. You know, the birth control pill was legalized in '61. The women's movement really emerged, and 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 then you had Griswold. The decision, the Supreme Court decision in '65 that legalized uh, condoms, the ownership of condoms by married couples in '72, the Supreme Court legalized the ownership of condoms and other birth control devices by single people, and so by '74, say the year after Roe, um, you know there was this huge women's movement, the the uh, the you know uh, a, a lot of stuff, you know the stars were aligned as it were, and so had they passed that. I don't think that the pro life movement would have even emerged. I think it would have just gone away. Um, because, you know, it, it would have gone through the democratic process and people would have seen that, oh, yeah, okay, the majority of people want this. But because the Supreme Court intervened and usurped the democratic process, they essentially created the pro life movement. So, you know, it's complicated, Tyrone, but your point is, is. is spot on. And, it is. Yeah.
1: In my, in my other concern my, um, my is that. We pro- prolonging the inevitable because these people have a, a constant um, time of we, you know going back against what the majority of people oh, want. I agree, and, I agree. And you know they're coming next for
3: your birth control, and and you know we we need to put that into law, legalizing birth control. Tyrone, thank you for the call. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two ends, or enter the code Hartman, the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman.
4: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe
3: And uh, welcome back. So this is my tweet, and I just, you know, just lay it straight out. Republicans have had a problem with women for a long, long time. And in 1974, when most states required men to co-sign for a wife or daughter's credit card or any other contract, Republicans voted against the Equal Credit Act. In 1978, when it was perfectly legal for employers to fire women who became pregnant, and was the norm rather than the exception. Republicans voted against the Pregnancy Act that made that practice illegal. In 1980, when, women, when men routinely groped and sexually harassed women in the workplace with impunity, and uh, Louise and I, uh, I, uh, I, during the pandemic, you know, we were binge-watching so many of these shows. We, we binge-watched, you know, what, five years or so of Cagney and Lacey, the old you know show about these two women detectives, New York City police detectives. And they were constantly getting hit on and groped and grabbed in the police, uh, you know, uh, room, uh, in the the police station. So in 1980, when men were routinely groping and harassing women, Republicans voted against a bill that would have allowed women to report sexual harassment in the workplace. In 1994, as news about domestic violence became an issue and right-wing radio hosts were arguing that men should have the right to rape their wives... Seriously, I remember this well. Republicans voted against the Violence Against Women Act. In 2012, as the knowledge that men are paid more than women became widespread in America, Republicans voted as a block against the Equal Pay for Equal Work for Women Act. In 2012, when the Violence Against Women Act was brought up for reauthorization, Republicans again voted against it. And today, Republicans across the country are fighting to prevent women from having access to abortion care and are proposing legislation in state after state to ban birth control and roll back back any of those laws that I just mentioned. Bottom line, women, Republicans just aren't aren't that into you. So, picking up your calls here, Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Hey, Margie, what's on your mind today?
5: Oh, I just need to talk to you and give some realities about Wisconsin. Go ahead. The Wisconsin Consciousness Clause was passed in 2003, almost two decades ago. Mm-hmm. It was specifically written to allow this. Wow. It was specifically written.
3: Allowing so the clerk not to sell the condoms.
5: Yes. You literally, here's, I'm going to try to boilerplate this. I've been responding on Twitter. But boilerplate, employers are not allowed to ask about personal beliefs during the hiring process.
0: Wow.
5: If after they find out, after, the, after they hired, they... Cannot be fired Because of religious beliefs This goes well beyond Pharmacists, doctors Cashiers This goes to People working in a hospital Can refuse to clean up a room After an atopic pregnancy Wow This is the intent of the law It's the feature Not a random thing
3: I got it Margie Um, amazing. Amazing. Margie, thank you. Thank you for bringing the receipts. I really appreciate it. So what are we going to do about this? Do you think America is waking up? Do you think America has gone to sleep? What are you hearing from your friends and neighbors about the Republican Party, about this 40, well, arguably 50 year war against women? in the United States, you know, back in the early 70s, I remember, you know, Louise and I were married in 72. And I, I remember I had to sign for her to get a credit card. I remember those years. I'm an old man. Yeah, I remember them well. And Republic, in, in 74, when, when there was an attempt by Democrats to put it into law that women didn't need their husband's signature to get a credit card or sign any contract, Republicans voted against it. What do we do with this? Where do we go with this? Denise in Calumet, Michigan. Hey, Denise, what's on your mind today?
4: Well, Tom, everything is like falling apart within our country. Not everything. Well, not everything, but I think that the Democrats also need to get louder about what the Republicans are up to with Social Security. I have posted and reposted your last interview with Alex Lawson, and I tell people when I post, it's not a political post, it's the truth. Yeah. And one very Republican person said, where are you getting this? And I, po- I sent her the post. But I think that the Democrats need to get louder about the Rick Scott Sunsetter program and Lindsey Graham's promise to get rid of Social Security and social programs, Thanks. and that might get some of the people that depend on their, their, their Social Security for a living, even if they are followers of the
3: cult, thinking mm-hmm. it might uh, you know that the uh, Social Security and Medicare have always been third rails in, in American politics particularly Social Security and as George W. Bush found out in 2006 when he tried to privatize Social Security after you know three years after he had started the process of privatizing Medicare and yeah uh, I, I think the, the, the Democrats need to be screaming a whole lot louder about a whole lot of things and I think that when the when the woman who runs the White House communications office, comes out and criticizes the democratic base and calls them a fringe for you know the the the, the pro women's right to have an abortion uh, group she you know she says, Oh, this is a fringe in the Democratic party I, that doesn 't help right? no, <laughs> that doesn 't help no, at all, doesn't. and we need we need fighters in washington d c and and you know more and more they 're popping up you know you, you had you know Mallory Mallory McMorrow, I believe her name is in Michigan, and there was a, a woman in i uh, uh, it was Georgia or Alabama over the weekend sure her, her her, uh, uh, she was speaking on the on the floor of her state legislature, and it's yeah, just a passion. You know, when you shut me up, you're shutting up the millions of, of women who voted for me, et cetera. You know, more and more, passion is coming into politics, and Democrats are learning how to do it. But I'm with you, Denise. This is this is important stuff. Thank you for the call. Jake in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. Hey, Jake, what's on your mind?
0: Morning, Tom. Hey. I was going to ask you why you haven't brought up the pr- proven point
4: from Brian Clash's book that psychopaths can be detected and they could be blocked from getting enough
5: money to put us all into trouble, like the current set of... Koch brothers are doing, et cetera, et cetera.
3: All right. Well, we don't and, know if, uh, if the Koch brothers were psychopaths or not, but but you know, b- bottom line, it's really hard to identify psychopaths. I mean, you know, there's a a, a good book it was written maybe a decade ago called "Snakes and Suits," about psychopathy in the in the boardroom, in in the top levels of. You know, the best estimates are 2 or 3 percent of Americans are psychopaths. But in corporations, in senior management, it seems to be running 15 to 20 percent. And, you know, certain professions, uh, police officers, for example, you have a lot more psychopaths. So, Uh but, but, you know, testing. Why are
2: we allowing them into into our government?
3: Because there's no law against being a psychopath.
1: Well, why isn't there?
3: Well, I suppose it would start a whole new uh, rights movement. (laughs) We are disabled too, yes, disability rights. I I don't know, Jake, it's A, it's it's, it's hard to detect, B, a lot of psychopathic behavior overlaps with normal behavior. Um, and see, the psychopaths have a lot of money and a lot of power in America right now, which is, you know, uh, just take a look at the United States Senate. I, I would be the first to argue, and in fact, I've had two a psychiatrist, uh, Justin Frank and a psychologist, on this program arguing that uh, Mitch McConnell is a psychopath, and it certainly appears that way to me. Uh, Jake, thank you. Edward in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Edward, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, I want to I uh, uh, ask you.
5: Why do you think that nobody is saying the real reason uh, that we can't have gun control as white supremacy?
3: I think that's an important point, uh, Edward. It it absolutely is. And and it even raises a larger issue, which is, is it possible, and I realize this sounds totally uh, wackadoodle conspiracy theory, but is it possible that the Republican Party has been supporting flooding the zone with guns, flooding our country with guns since, the, since 1980, since Reagan's election, because they view this as an armed force on their behalf, like the old Klan. Yes. They want to revive the but old Klan. Nobody, nobody says it. Well, I just did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm with you, Edward. I'm with you. I, I think it's a huge piece of it. And, and I think that that's probably yeah, yeah. the main reason why the GOP has been embracing it. Yeah. Would, would you be willing to uh, have uh, Scott Tilly on your show? I don't know who Scott Pally, the old 60 he, Minutes he, guy?
5: Know, no, no, uh, he's one of the weapons inspectors.
3: Oh, in Scott ODS. Ritter, you mean? Is it, yeah, is that, yeah. Scott is that, Ritter, is Ritter used to come on our show a lot back in the early 2000s. I, I during his name was Tilly. No, no, uh, it's yeah. Scott Ritter. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, he's been on this program a number of times. Uh, he he was one of the weapons inspectors. He was the guy who was saying George W. Bush is lying to you in the run-up to the, to the right. uh, war in Iraq. We had him on the program regularly. Um, uh, you know, as the search for weapons was going on through 2004 and 2005, um, we had Scott on the program. Um, he got he got busted for uh, trying to solicit a, a 15-year-old. Yeah, you know, right. and 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 guy. and kind of went underground after that. And we haven't had him on the program since then. Um, I. You know, I don't know what he's up to these days, uh, but uh, that was kind of a stain on his uh, he, reputation.
5: He's got a very, you've got a very unique um, uh, uh, side on uh, Ukraine.
3: Oh, interesting. Uh, what's what's the website?
5: Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I I didn't see it on the website. I, I oh. saw it on. Uh, 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 well, it was a free speech TV uh, program. Oh, Pirate TV. Yeah, oh. it was on pirate TV. Uh-huh. And uh, he was discussing uh, uh, why the Russians aren't. He didn't say they were right, but they weren't totally. It was another side to it other than, you yeah. know, what's being shown and on our you know, on our news networks and.
3: Yeah, well, oh, I you know other
5: shows.
3: I I would be careful. There are a number of people out there who are just, you know, shilling for the Russians. I, I you know s- some of them are doing it for money, some of them are doing yeah, it for yeah, yeah. for, you know, yeah, the like, the exoticness of being a contrarian, you know, it's 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 bizarre. But I'm not but least, I'm not putting Russian shells on this program. Uh so we don't get to hear the other side. Uh, there is no other side Russia is committing war crimes in Ukraine and by the way you know Putin uh, last week said we haven't even begun I have a feeling so a real horror show is on its way and and things are gonna get really really bad and so no I'm not gonna put anybody on this program who is who is saying that Putin was justified in attacking uh, Ukraine or that he's justified in you know just yesterday he he lobbed a missile into a into an apartment building that's terrorism Uh, you You can't justify, explain away, or rationalize terrorism like that, Edward. You just can't do it. Edward, thanks a lot for the call. Hey, I've got a new book out. It's called The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threaten Us and Our Democracy. Available wherever you find fine books. Tom in Saugus, Massachusetts. Hey, Tom, what's up? So here's my
1: thought. It's not original, but it, maybe it'll surprise you a tiny bit. So um, I've been thinking about Trump and his, and the Trumpists, all the people who supported him. And what I, I guess what I'm saying is sort of parallel with that gentleman who called up about being an atheist. I'm not sure what I am. I have, sometimes I believe in God and sometimes I don't. But what I really hate the Trumpists for is believing in fairy tales sort of. And I, my, for example, example. Yeah. So Trump was talking a year or two ago and he said the beautiful
3: suburbs. He's talking about white people. That, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Yes. I, no, I Absolutely. I, I guarantee you 100%. Yeah. When he says the beautiful suburbs, he's talking about white people.
1: I, I suppose that's my sense. I grew up in the suburbs of New York and I do not, that's the last word that comes to my mind about the suburbs. But
3: there is a grain of truth to it, and I think you're right. I think there's something really sick about it. So that's my, that's all I want to yeah. say. No, you, you did it very well, Tom. Yeah. This, this is Donald Trump talking in, in uh, code and, uh, and not oh, even no. particularly subtle code, but yes, absolutely. Tom, thank you for the call. Laura in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. Hey, Lara. What's on your mind today?
2: Hi. Hi, Tom. How are you? Good I'm to hear. Um, listen, you... I was <laughs> I was reading. I don't know if you saw that article in the Times yesterday about third parties and how we need third parties. I did not. And I just well, anyway, they're saying that you know this is everybody's too far extreme. Most people are in the middle. Blah blah blah. And honestly, it was kind of ridiculous because. Uh-huh. Until we get money out of politics there's just no way we can have Oh
3: I did party. read that. There's they were no they, this was a, yeah. some some people who were proposing You know, when I first when I started reading the article, my thought was, oh, my God, here we go. The old, you know, uh, uh, green libertarian propaganda, you know, it's just going to hurt. And this is probably going to be promoting something that will hurt the Democratic Party. But then as I dug into it, this was a group of disaffected Republicans. And uh, I I think what they were what they were promoting was basically like, you know, when the Federalists became the Whigs and the Whigs became the Republican Party, you know, it's time to move beyond the Republican Party. And this could be the beginning of the death of the Republican Party party which isn't a terrible thing Well,
2: no I, I don't think so but un, until we get money out of the politics you're not gonna have anybody seeding any kind of control of course It's kind of like oh uh, I, I had an you know an argument with a, a good good female person who I admire very much last time around who, uh, who voted for Jill Stein and I remember she was a big Bernie fan and I said okay Bernie's gone you need to vote for Hillary I know you hate her guts and you hate her guts but You can't, you know, any other vote is going to be a vote for Trump. And that's what's going to happen. It's a math problem. And as bad as a two-party system is, it's all we got. And in my opinion, it's better that we get, No, it'll take a while, unfortunately. We don't have a lot of time. The planet's burning, et cetera, et cetera. Our rights are being stripped every day. But we need to work it from the inside out. To change the party as it is. Absolutely. Republicans have to find their brains, right? I mean, the Republicans gave us the EPA. I mean, they gave us some good things. They gave us rope. Actually it was Democrats who brought
3: us the EPA. That that was democratic legislation that Nixon threatened to veto. And then the next year when the Clean Water Act came up, he actually did veto it. So, you know, yes and no. But
2: there's a lot of there's but, a lot of things that we can do within the two-party system. It's right. what we have to work with to change it. It's like the Electoral College. I'd love to get rid of the Electoral College. That ain't going to happen for a long time, if any. Yep. So it's, it's just a struggle we all have to do. But I, I just wanted to throw that out there and I also think there is a war on women I was in high school when Roe was turned and I can't believe that we're here and I weep for my daughter and my grandchildren
3: yeah I'm anyway good well, day to
2: you and keep the fight fighting
3: thank you Laura yeah, great to hear from you and, and let me add you know in both primaries the 2016 and the 2020 primaries I was supporting well I was supporting Bernie openly in the 2016 primary and both Bernie and Elizabeth Warren in the 2020 primary but, you know, when, when Bernie lost the primary in 2016, I became a, an, a huge advocate of Hillary Clinton and campaigned for her, as did Bernie. Hillary Clinton gave the most speeches to the most people for her own candidacy in 2016. Number two was Tim Kaine, her running mate. Number three was Bernie Sanders, traveling around the country campaigning for Hillary Clinton. And I was right there with all of them saying, yes, we need to vote for Hillary. And the same thing, Joe Biden wasn't my first choice. My first choice was either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. But, hey, you know, I didn't get my first choice. And so I campaigned, as it were, and advocated Joe Biden. And I continue to, to, to say, you know, he's our president. He's doing a hell of a lot more good than bad. There are a few things that I would do differently if I was president. But I'm not president. So come on, let's have some rationality here. AND IF YOU DON'T LIKE THE WAY THE DEMOCRATIC PARTY IS GOING ALONG, INSTEAD OF SITTING AROUND AND WHINING AND COMPLAINING ABOUT IT, GET INSIDE IT. BECOME A precinct COMMITTEE PERSON. BECOME ONE OF THE PEOPLE WHO WRITES THE RULES. DAVE IN FEDERAL WAY WASHINGTON. HEY DAVE, WHAT'S ON YOUR MIND TODAY? Hey, Tom, this
1: topic of religious fundamentalism is very, very important. It's actually at the heart of my theory. It's a primer that I accidentally discovered, and I'm, I'm dying to find out where you go with it. But I was like you. Last week, you told a woman that you think the countries of the Earth are splitting between uh, authoritarian regimes and democratic regimes. Right? Yeah, And it's the new bifurcation.
3: Hedge. It used to be communism versus democracy. Now it's authoritarianism.
1: Yes, and I used to hedge as well. I totally get it. But do you remember uh, 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 PNAS, you, you know, the, the National Academy of Scientists did a, a study on biomass of the earth and like humans and our livestock are only like 1%, but we consume 90. Well, I was like fixated with that and I was on a, I called a conservative show where they were talking about wealth and prosperity is the will of God, right? It was this mm-hmm. prosperity thing. And I'm like, oh man, I gotta call in. Cause they were talking about, we are, humans are created in the image of God. So whatever we want is what God wants. And I was thinking about, that's crazy because what about Jeffrey Dahmer? Mass murderers, what about mass murderers? Is that what God wants? so i i call i tried to call in and i explained what i wanted to say on the air and they said no we're not going to take your call because you sound crazy they said that i sounded crazy because i'm like all right And, and and then that's when the primer that's when i got the primer on this look i am an atheist i have nothing against people feeling good about themselves all right but when you believe that your will is the same will as an omnipotent god you cannot cope with failure.
3: Yeah, yeah. and it becomes very, very problematic. And with regard to, the, and, and thank you, Dave, excellent point, excellent points all. And, you know, with regard to this Wisconsin law that the, the caller shared with us, I think it was Marge, Margie. Yes, I mean, this, this is a problem. This is a big problem here in the United States that individual states, somebody just replied to my Twitter thread citing the New Hampshire law. That says this. That basically says, you know, if if your religion forbids you from doing something in the workplace, you don't have to do it. And uh, I mean, this is and uh, there's a law in Wisconsin that allows this as well. Um, these, uh, frankly, uh, need to be overturned by federal law. You would think it's common sense that somebody who doesn't want to sell a condom shouldn't get a job in a in a drugstore, but. These guys are looking for these kinds of jobs so they can use this position of petty power to lord over other people like little tyrants. And it is sick and twisted and, you know, and it's going on right around us, all around us. Jim in Tampa, Florida. Hey, Jim, thanks for listening to WMNF. What's up? Hey, Tom,
0: how are you doing? Good. Uh, you know, I... Going on what you were just saying, you know, you think that the uh, the people could call the condom company and that's, uh, you know, their, their product is being shelved, putting on a shelf and staying there forever if this keeps going on. So you think there would be kicked back from that, right? Maybe.
3: I don't, you know, yeah, I, okay. I doubt that the condom company's. Uh, Well, who knows? Yeah, you know, take it up the chain. I don't know what this publicity is going to do. I mean, I I haven't called this Walgreens in, uh, I think it's Hayward, uh, Wisconsin, uh, to ask them. If I did, did, I'm guessing that, you know, they're not talking about it. Um, And and, uh, the person who wrote the article for the Minneapolis Star Tribune said that she had contacted Walmart's, uh, you know, headquarters, and they had no comment. So you know, I think they're all just hoping it'll go away. You know, the, this little storm. But but you're gonna, we're going to yeah. start seeing these things happen on a regular basis, and the, and you know, social media is going to pop them. This this thing got popped because uh, this woman's husband tw- uh, tweeted about it after it happened, and yeah. you know, a little Twitter account with with you know a handful of followers suddenly boom, and uh, you know, and there's a link to the tweet. In fact, in my in my op ed over at HartmanReport.com today. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, Tom, Tom my, a big question is, is, how do you talk to, to
0: family and to people who are in the cult? How do you talk to them? How do you, how do you start drawing them out of it? I think the,
3: I think the really okay. simple and important point to make, Jim, is, uh, and I would phrase it something like this, I absolutely honor and respect your right to and, 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 and your devotion to your religion. Uh, you know, you're entitled to that, that it's, it's, you know, as a fellow human being, I, you know, I honor that, but your right to exercise your religion stops at the point where it starts interfering in my right to, to live my life. Well, I mean, well, it's a variation on the old, you know, your right to swing your arm stops when your fist hits my nose.
0: Yeah. As opposed to Trump being in the Trump cult. Yeah. No matter what it is, it's Biden bad. Trump's good. Biden's bad, oh, Trump's yeah. Good, Read you know? my Twitter feed.
3: <laughs> I mean, last last Friday, I tweeted, uh, hey, gas prices have gone down every day for the last 25 days. Unemployment numbers are great. Uh, you know, the economy seems to be doing well. I, you know, I get it. We've got inflation and the stock markets down. But but I was just highlighting some of the positive things. And oh, my God, I you know, I, I, I what was amazing to me? was the number of bots that I ended up blocking. There must have been a hundred of them. Finally, I just gave up over the weekend. But, but, you know, these accounts that are like, you know, Jim 30907555321, and he's got, you know, three followers and, you know, uh, and, and follows 70 accounts or something and follows me. Right. And, and you yeah. know, this is a bot being run out of St. Petersburg or something. And oh, my God. And they were all like, oh, no, Republicans are wonderful. You damn Democrats. How dare you? bloody bloody blah. What about inflation? You know, Joe Biden? And uh, I mean, it's just it's just nuts. Jim, I got move along, but thank you for the call. On the line with us is Spencer Schneider, the author of a new book, Manhattan Cult Story, my unbelievable true story of sex crimes, chaos, and survival. Spencer-Schneider.com is his website. Uh, His Twitter handle is NYCSLS. Uh, Spencer, welcome to the program. Tell us about yourself, first off.
6: Sure, it's nice to be here, Tom. I'm an attorney, I live in Manhattan, and I grew up in Long Island in a middle-class family. And that's my background.
3: Yeah, and 23 years ago, I guess it was, or there it must have been a little longer than that, because you were 23 years inside this cult. You got sucked into a, a cult that's mostly lawyers, investment bankers, accountants, and doctors.
6: Exactly. Yes. So, um, tell us about it. Sure. You know, I'll, I guess maybe by way of uh, explaining the group, I can explain how I was lured into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a 29-year-old attorney. A corporate attorney working in New York, many long hours, um, but, you know, had pretty much everything I wanted in life, but an acquaintance told me about this group. He called it an esoteric school mm-hmm. and uh, invited me to a meeting, and that was the beginning of it.
3: Yeah, and and boom, down the rabbit hole. This uh, this cult was run by a, a woman named uh, Sharon Gans, right? This is, Correct. And she... I mean, this is more or less 30 years ago. I remember the self-help movement, and you know, uh, I mean, Tony Robbins is kind of continuing it in a in a relatively non-cult way. But, but there were there were some people. I'm trying to remember the guy who started Warner Earhart Est. I mean, there was a there was a lot of this stuff going on about you know we're, we we will make your life better, and and you know all you have to know is is the secrets of of how everything works, and we'll do that, and and we'll serve as a support group for you. This was that sort of thing, was it not?
6: Exactly, exactly. Sharon Gans actually came from San Francisco and kind of grew out of that whole self-actualization notion. But what she had was a slightly different brand, and it was based upon uh, a philosophy called uh, The Fourth Way, which was uh, oh,
3: Gurdjieff and, and Ouspensky. and yeah, P.D. Ouspensky. That, that was actually one of my favorite books when I was a teenager.
6: It, you know, had a lot Terry
3: and Morganatum. You're
6: not the first person to tell me how great uh, they enjoyed those. And I like those books too. And sure enough, uh, you know, it was very interesting to study all that. And, you know, that was very attractive to us. And it was actually I like the fact that it was old and not Werner Earhart. You know, it was Yeah, this is like, late 19th well, century stuff.
3: Early 20s. Exactly.
6: Exactly. So I figured if it's around that long, it must be okay. And, you know, uh, you know, you slowly get lured into this uh, situation where you're under the control of someone and um, it it happens slowly but firmly.
3: So America right now, and and, and you eventually made your way out of this cult. um, That's right. uh, And and good on you for that. Um, America seems to be in some ways, or at least many Americans, Uh, under the sway of various cults. I mean, the the cult of Donald Trump is is probably one of the more obvious ones. Um, I would argue that many of these uh, right-wing militia groups are are cults as well. I'm curious your thoughts on that.
6: I completely agree. I mean, I escaped in 2012, and when I saw the rise of Donald Trump in 2016, um, I was alarmed because there was so much about him that reminded me of the leader of our group, who was You know, I just heard that description that you just read, uh, had every one of those attributes in spades. I mean, through narcissism, through, uh, you know, uh, this grandiose uh, belief in herself. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, they share many of the same characteristics. Uh, These obviously these right wing groups that I, I think a lot of the people there really think they're doing the right thing. You know, I I think there are evil people in the groups, sure, and the leaders, but just like in my group, I mean, we were looking for something, Mm -hmm. and the leaders knew what we wanted.
3: Right. And they basically promised it and said, by the way, I alone can fix it, or I alone can do it, as, as Donald Trump, I mean, literally said.
1: You're listening to Tom Hartman.
3: How, in your opinion, how can we most effectively help people who are trapped in cults? Whether whether it's a uh, you know one of these right wing cults or whether it's one of the self help cults or 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 something else? Um, how how do we help people break out of them?
6: Yeah, that's you know that's the big question. And and here's what, I've been thinking about it a lot. I think the most important thing is to talk to people in the most rational way that you can without provoking them. Because again, they're under the illusion, as you say, that they're involved with people who are telling them the truth. Um, So it's important to actually explain the truth in a rational way. And I think it's also important to learn that people learn that the leaders are not interested in them, except to exploit and use them. And that when it comes to their real self-interest, the leaders are not there for them. And you can see that. I mean, look how many people have been indicted and going to jail in the January 6th movement.
3: Right, well, and and, and I've, I've, in fact, I wrote an op-ed about this uh, six months ago or so, saying that if I truly believed, I mean, if, if Joe Biden had said, you know, the election was stolen from me and, and offered what I believe to be credible evidence, I might've been there on January 6th. I mean, you know, it's I, I think many of these many of these people were were dupes. You know, they they believed that they were trying to help save our country. Um, you know, which is tragic, but still, I mean, it's, it's it's over the top. They should have they should have known, I suppose. Uh, some there, there's been a a kind of running debate for years. Um, uh, that, that I've been observing in, in, in American uh, psychology and uh, cult studies and whatnot. A friend of mine used to, used to work with Ted Patrick and deprogram people back many years ago. Um, the guy who used to kidnap people out of the Hare Krishnas and, and, right. Uh, and right. whatnot. Right, right. And uh, actually the Maharaji cult was more of a cult, I, I would say, than the Hare Krishnas were. Um, and, and it's like, where's the dividing line? Um, you know, the, the, I also had a good friend who was in the Hare Krishnas, and, and he strongly argued to me that it was not a cult because it was entirely voluntary and there was not, they didn't play the mind control games. But he would also say that the Reverend Moon people and the, and the, and the perfect master people, I forget, Maharaji's um, people, that was a cult. And, right. and, 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 you know, I've had people over the years describe, you know, uh, religion as a cult, um, uh, AA is a cult. I mean, I don't think of religion or AA as cults. But where where is the dividing line? How when does something cease to be a support group or a uh, you know a shared belief or commonality of interest, and and become something that is actually toxic and destructive to its members?
6: Right. How do you well, identify all- that? Yeah, yeah. I think the way to identify it, are there's several factors. And I talk about it in my book, actually, uh, these hallmarks, I think, of a cult. And the number one is a charismatic leader um, who is exploiting people and uh, for their own benefit. Mm. That's hard to see sometimes. But let's take a look at what your time is and your money. Are you giving a lot of your time? Are you giving a lot of your money? Does the leader mind if you dissent or are you punished? Is there any toleration for dissent? Well, You're describing um, Donald
3: Trump, you know. I mean, you know, he's, yeah, he's, I just he's taken three quarters of a billion dollars from his followers just since he got kicked out of the White House.
6: That's right. And with lies. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, the rules are strict and you can be ostracized. I mean, look at all the people who uh, are out of his orbit and what he says about them. You know, mm-hmm. some of his, you know, hang Mike Pence. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and and, um, there's also, uh, at least in my group, it was very secretive. And uh, again, you know, exploitation and coercion, that's the dividing line. Because, look, people do say religions are are cults, and I don't believe that unless they are sort of splinters like, you know, the Mormons have these uh, far out groups.
3: Yeah, the the, the, the fringe, the, the, the ones on the fringes of those uh, more or less mainstream religions. Fascinating yeah. stuff. Spencer Schneider, the book is Manhattan Cult Story, my un- unbelievable true story of sex, crimes, chaos, and survival. Uh, great work, Spencer. Thanks a lot for dropping by. Thanks for having me, Tom. Good talking with you and good learning about this. It's a fascinating topic. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Harvin Book Club is The Cult of Trump. A leading cult expert explains how the president uses mind control by Stephen Hassan. This is from the introduction. Just beneath the surface of Trump's woe is me facade is a messianic streak. He may not come out and say he believes he is a messiah, but he has done nothing to dispel the notion popular among some Christian followers that God has chosen him to be their leader. Certainly, he makes no bones about the fact that he is the only one who can restore America to an imagined past glory and save us from a terrible future. One of Trump's earliest campaign moves was to establish the image of a great shining wall in the minds of his followers. The wall was a key piece of Trump propaganda to insulate, isolate, and elevate America from the rest of the dangerous world. The idea was actually suggested by political consultants Roger Stone and Sam Nunberg, who were looking for a mnemonic device that would keep Trump on message. Trump didn't love the idea at first, but he tried it out at a rally and the crowds went crazy. It turned out to be a stroke of marketing genius. Not only did it play on the us versus them trope, but it also allowed Trump to conjure images of murderers and rapists amassing at the southern border. It allowed him to instill fear in the hearts and minds of his followers, far beyond what is the norm at campaign rallies, and yet straight out of the cult leader playbook. The Muslim ban, which Trump tried to implement early in his presidency, was a variation on this theme, as many of the Christian right fear that Islam wants to rule the world and impose Sharia law on Americans. Trump uses all kinds of cult tactics, lying, projecting his weaknesses onto others, deflecting, distracting, presenting alternative facts and competing versions of reality, to confuse, disorient, and ultimately coerce his followers. Repetition programs the belief into the unconscious, but fear-mongering tops the list. In my experience, phobia indoctrination, the creation of fearful thoughts to promote and reinforce a desired set of beliefs or behaviors and followers, is one of the most powerful and universal techniques in the cult leader's arsenal. This is why Trump spends so so much air and Twitter time painting a frightening picture of the danger posed by immigrants, Mexicans, Muslims, the migrant caravan, The more vivid the thought or image installed in people's minds, the greater a hold it has on us, and the less susceptible we are to rational or critical thought. There are other enemies in Trump's world, globalists, radical left-wing Democrats, socialists, Hollywood actors, the liberal media, all of whom want to destroy America. Inspiring fear of real or imagined threats overrides people's sense of urgency. It makes them susceptible to a confident authority figure who promises to keep them safe and can make them more compliant and obedient. Fear defines Trump's philosophy, his personality, and his presidency. It is also his definition of power, according to Bob Woodward's aptly titled book, Fear. In it, Woodward reported that Trump told him, quote, real power is, I don't even want to use the word, fear. Trump, like cult leaders and dictators throughout history, seizes upon people's needs and fears and amplifies them. Like these authoritarian leaders, he may manufacture problems that do not exist, and then say, trust me or believe me, and promise that only he can fix it. Given the right circumstances, sane, rational, well-adjusted people can be made to consider and ultimately believe the most outrageous leaders and propositions. There is a method to their madness. Cult leaders may look and behave differently, but even the craziest, most chaotic ones follow a similar pattern. While they usually have no academic training, they are masters of human psychology, especially social psychology. They understand that human beings are social creatures who, at some level, are wired to follow leaders and powerful members of their group. They know that they can confuse people with false information and lies, and then sow doubt by claiming that they never said what they said in the first place. People like to think they're rational and in control, but the lessons of history and social psychology demonstrate, time and again, that simply ain't so. We go about our ways and our lives using unconscious mental models. When cult leaders manipulate these models in subtle and overt ways, we can be persuaded to believe and do things we might never have considered without such systemic psychological influence. Ultimately, their goal is to make people dependent and obedient. Before the 24-7 world of smartphones and the internet, cult leaders would physically isolate members in order to control all aspects of their lives, their behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions, Or what we call the bite model of indoctrination b-i-t-e but physical isolation is not always necessary for indoctrination to occur through the media and the internet people can be indoctrinated and even recruited on their smartphones or in their own homes some cult leaders including pimps and human traffickers use smartphones and digital technology to monitor and control their followers Taken to an extreme, the indoctrination process can break down a person's fundamental identity to such an extent that they could be said to have a new pseudo-identity cast in the image of the group's leader or ideology. In her documentary, The Brainwashing of My Dad, Jan Senko, shows how her once loving and liberal father, Frank, came to espouse hate-filled racist views after listening to Rush Limbaugh and other right-wing talk radio hosts for many hours a day while commuting to work. He was essentially radicalized by these shows and also by Fox News Television. I have met and heard about followers of Trump who have undergone radical personality changes, adopting viewpoints that would have been abhorrent to their former selves. Perhaps most confounding is how so many devout Christians have come to believe that a man who cheated on his pregnant wife was handpicked by God. The book, The Cult of Trump. Cody in New York City. Hey Cody, what's up? Hey Tom.
0: I wanted to address the issue of state legislatures overriding the votes of the people. And it just feels like we are not addressing the heart of the issue here, and and we really need to address the heart of the issue if we're going to solve this problem. And the issue is that the Electoral College in the Constitution specifically calls for state legislatures to have the power to override the will of the voters.
3: I know, and that's how it was done for the first 40 or 50 years of, of, of the United States. Yeah, People exactly. People did not vote for president.
0: Exactly. But that's still in the Constitution. That is what the Electoral College is all
3: about. I know, and that's why I'm predicting that that's what the Supreme Court is going to do this fall, is they're going to, they're going to say to the Republican-controlled states, um, you know, if, if you don't like the way the election turned out for president, now you can't do that for governor or for senator or whatever, but for president, uh, the Electoral College only applies to the White House. Uh, you know, I think that they're going to hand it off. I, I really do, and it concerns me. Uh, yeah,
0: well, exactly. Exactly. But but they it's not crazy that they would do this. I mean, what we hear from the Democrats is, oh, my gosh, this would be crazy if state legislatures could overrule it. No, that's what the Electoral College says. So it's no wonder if conservative courts uphold the Electoral College, because it's in the Constitution. I agree. So I agree. we was... need to start preparing for this.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, that's, that's why I wrote that piece, you know, a week or so ago that just went totally viral. And and what has happened is that every state in the union has passed laws saying that whoever gets the majority of the vote in their state for president gets the electoral college vote. Um, and, you know, states can change those laws. I mean, like I said, those laws, most of those laws came about in the era just before the Civil War. So uh, they could go back to saying, you know, the, the state legislature will do that. It's just no state has done that yet. And, and I think the Supreme Court picking this up is going to give a lot of power to that whole movement. And, you know, that John Eastman was trying to love her off of. The thing that John Eastman came up against was not the Constitution. It was state laws in Georgia and Wisconsin and Michigan that said that whoever wins the vote gets all our electoral votes. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives,
1: visit TomHartman.com.
4: Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile, and get fiber powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at Cox.com/internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability, as measured by Ookla LLC in the US to H 2023. Results may vary. Not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.